0: Podo.
1: You're listening to Law & Disorder, a weekly podcast which aims to get to the heart of the big legal issues of the day. Well, hello and welcome to the latest episode on our podcast Law and & Disorder. And today we're going to be discussing What I call privacy and Charlie calls privacy. That's because Charlie's been doing too many cases on the wrong side of the pond, haven't you, Charlie? No, I think privacy is a very, very English word. I'm Charlie Faulkner. (laughs) And who else have we got here?
0: Helena Kennedy.
1: And we're going to be discussing the right to privacy generally... And in in particular, in accordance with our normal practice, we're going to do it by reference to a recent judgment, which is the judgment given in favour of the Duke of Sussex, Prince Harry, and others by Mr Justice Fancourt because of the systematic hacking of the prince's mobile phone voice box. Now, I should set out a little bit of background about what we call the tort or the right of action to bring a claim based on a breach of privacy. Everybody accepts that prior to the implementation of the Human Rights Act, which was in October 2000, there was no right to privacy as such. And there was, in fact, wasn't there, Charlie, an infamous case of the actor Gordon Kay? Yes, do you Gordon, remember that.
2: I do. You remember, those of you who watch Hello, Allo, he's the man who ran the cafe. Do you remember the day of the great storm in 1987? A oh, tree yes. fell on his car yes. in the Fulham Palace Road. He was taken to hospital. His partner did everything he could to try to prevent a photograph that a newspaper had taken of Gordon Kay stricken in hospital, very, very badly injured and wired up. And he said, that's something that's really private. He went to court to try and stop the newspaper publishing it. And the court said, no, I'm afraid there's no right to privacy. Even though they've got into a hospital for a bad purpose, to take a photograph, we're not going to prevent the newspaper publishing it. It was a terrible decision. terrible
1: decision. Because at that time, the common law only went so far as to recognise a person's right to have confidential information kept confidential. There were cases that... The Duke of remember? Argyle. The Duke of Argyle and Prince Albert. And stri- yeah, they, yes, and yeah. Argyle
2: and Argyle hadn't. It was a conversation between the Duke and Duchess of Argyle in bed. Yeah. That was a confidential conversation because you'd expect what you said to your wife or husband in bed would be confidential,
1: and the courts accepted that. There were occasionally these actions for breach of confidence. However, following the arrival of the Human Rights Act, and with it Article Eight, the right to, to respect for a family life, questions were asked mainly in academia whether it would transform the old equitable remedy of breach of confidence and lead to a new common law right of privacy. And at the same time, you'll remember this, that there was the famous case of von Hanover against Germany in the European Court of Human Rights, where some German aristocrat was (laughs) photographed with her children, and the European Court of Human Rights held that the state had an obligation to protect individuals from an unjustified invasion of private lives and that courts had to interpret legislation in a way to achieve that result. And so all this was coming to the boil, and came to the boil in the case of Naomi Campbell. Do you remember that one?
0: I do indeed, because Naomi Campbell was uh, photographed coming out of a rehabilitation clinic. The inference was that she had a drug problem, and that um, she'd been attending a narcotics anonymous meeting, and she was utterly appalled that she her private life was being exposed in this way and so it went all the way through the courts and and it was a really singular moment in fact where it was strangely Invoking the common law and uh, the common law idea of, you know, breach of confidence and start trying to marry it up with the European Convention of Human, Human Rights and Human Rights Act. Was, what, it was a sort of marriage of it, it rather than, which developed, of course, in was, the, later was, cases, Stephen Sedley's later case where Stephen Sedley, the judge, we'll come to that. made a more fulsome protection of privacy. But in this, there was a sort of attempt to marry our own protections of confidentiality with. The new law that could come through. Yes, what the Human Lord Nicholls
1: said, he said the court would not go so far as to invent an overarching, all-embracing cause of action for invasion of privacy, but that rather the time had come to recognise that the values in the Human Rights Act were now part of the cause of action for breach of confidence, which should be renamed as an action for misuse of private information, which I call basically an invention of a new right there of is. action. Mm. That is, in fact, what happened, as we said, Lord Justice Stephen Sedley in the Douglas hello case. Do you remember that one, Charlie? I do. That's where Michael Douglas got married. He did. To Catherine Tita Jones. He did. And he
2: sold pictures of the wedding to one publication, but another publication published them. And so Michael Douglas then sued the publication that had published them without permission,
1: saying, you breach my privacy. He, he did say that, and... Law Justice Sedley said, the law no longer needs to construct an artificial relationship of confidentiality between intruder and victim. It can recognise privacy itself as a legal principle drawn from the fundamental value of personal autonomy. And that is what has happened. And since then, all of these cases have been characterised or framed under the concept of misuse of private information, which brings us to... Prince Harry and phone hacking. Now, do you remember when phone hacking came to the boil?
0: Yes, but let's, before we just get there, yeah. even before we got to the business of uh, the exposure of phone hacking and mm. the seriously bad behavior of our newspapers, particularly our tabloids, we had to look at who were the people who were resisting the idea of uh, the Human Rights Act being invoked and in creating protections for invasions of privacy. And it was our tabloid newspapers and their editors. They didn't like it one bit because, of course, they know that as technology was developing, particularly social media, being able to sell salacious stories about celebrities was vitally important mm. to famous people. Mm-hmm. And they really did not want to lose that bit of the sensationalism of the tabloid exposure and all those kiss and tell things and Mm. so forth. They wanted that stuff out there. Almost invariably involves invasions of privacy. And so they did not like the direction of travel of the law and they were going to resist it like mad. So let's yeah. be very clear. Yeah. Serious things happening. Changes for the press because of the arrival of, of social media and uh, the internet and stuff as a purveyor of information. And secondly, the development of, through the Human Rights Act, of a privacy protection. They didn't like it at all. And so there was a war on yes, below was. the surface.
2: And it wasn't below the surface because you'll recall, Helena, when the Human Rights Bill was going through Parliament the media spent all their time trying to get provisions in, saying, for example, you couldn't get injunctions to... Pro- well, then, they, then, they
1: did get it beefed up, Section 12.2, mm-hmm. which says that you know, the court has to pay a special regard to the right of freedom of expression, and you can't get an injunction unless it's, you can demonstrate it. it's more likely than not. That and that, is, that calls, was the concession
2: yeah. the politicians made. Yeah. To, there's a question yeah. about what effect it does have, but yeah. you're absolutely right. Yeah. That section was introduced purely because of pressure from the newspapers. It and was. as Helena is also saying, their economic model mm. at that time depended, depended upon on Kiss the, and Tell, basically. Yeah.
1: Now, at that time, so we're talking 1999, 2000, 2001, 2002, yeah. at that time it was very easy to hack somebody's telephone. Because people never change the PIN number from the factory default to the 0000. Yeah. So you ring up, you wait for the phone to go on to voice message, then you would press o and you could listen to the contents of the yeah. person's mailbox. I mean, Or you, you could find out, as we
2: discovered from the fan court judgment, find out what the birth date was of the person you're ringing, put in the put first... Put in that as the And code. that got you through as yes, well.
1: because that was what people normally had exactly. as, their, as their PIN number. Yeah. You couldn't hack a telephone on that basis now. It would be impossible. But then it was absolutely widespread. And can yeah. you remember the case... Because it's always one case that... Millie Dowler. It has to be Millie Millie Dowler, wasn't it? Do you remember that one case? I do. And
2: and you've talked about Michael Douglas, you've talked about Prince Harry, but there's a, a great number of people who are not... Yes. Celebrities, but who are, for example, members of society. Members Gen- of, Dowler was a missing oh, was schoolgirl terrible. at the time. Yeah. And the News of the World hacked her telephone. In fact, I think she was dead by the time they did it. It's and a gave, terrible and thing gave the
0: hope to her. Because parents it like that somebody's ringing. It looked as though she was using her phone. Exactly. And so it made them feel that she may be kidnapped somewhere and she's still alive. Uh, terrible. uh, It was that case.
1: And then do you remember Mr Jeffries in Bristol? I
0: do, I
2: do. He's the man who was wrongly accused of being involved in the murder of somebody in his block of flats. And the tabloids published every single thing about him, making him look like some kind of terrible pervert when he wasn't. Mm -hmm. And he had absolutely no ability to defend himself. Those two cases led to the setting up of the Leveson Inquiry.
1: Yes, the Leveson Inquiry was set up, I think, in July 2011, and it was in the same month that the House of Commons Home Affairs Select Committee stated that as many as 13,000 people may have been victims or affected by phone hacking. Yeah. yeah. So this wasn't a limited malpractice no, indeed,
2: you, at all. If you bring it back to the case you started with, Nicholas, what did Mr Justice Fancourt discover about what was going on
1: in the newsrooms of large numbers of newspapers? Yes, indeed. Now, what happened is that Prince Harry sued Mirror Group newspapers for 145 articles which he said derived from phone hacking. 145. And he was allowed because of pressure of time and resources, he was allowed to pursue 33. And the findings that were made by Mr Justice Fancourt in this monumental judgment, which is longer, I've noted, than Jane Eyre. (laughs) Not as long as Moby Dick. Not quite as long as Moby Dick, (laughs) but longer (laughs) than Jane Eyre. A monumental judgment, which had in fact followed a previous judgment made by Mr Justice Mann. He made the findings that there had been systematic hacking of the Duke's telephone from a time when he was a child, mm. when he was a child. Now, mm. he failed on many of his applications because the act of hacking took place before the Human Rights Act came into force. Mm. So he couldn't rely on the change of the law that we've discussed. And Mr Justice Fancourt found this, that there was a widespread culture of blatant criminal conduct by journalists at Miragoot newspapers, which was permitted and encouraged by editors and the board. That was in the judgment. And the conduct was exemplified by an incident which he described in his judgment where the political editor was walking in March 2001 through the newsroom and encountered the then editor, Mr Piers Morgan, standing in the middle of the newsroom holding a tape machine with reporters surrounding him. Mr Morgan said, listen to this, and played a recording of Paul McCartney singing a Beatles song to Heather Mills in a voicemail left for her. And that sort of more or less exemplifies what was going on. The judge found that there were numerous instances and he awarded about £7,000 damages for each breach in favour of the Duke, total damages of £140,000, of which 20,000 were aggravated damages. Mm. So, what do we think about this? There will be further historic phone hacking cases. There won't be phone hacking cases for the future because I don't believe that journalists will behave in that way. But what do we what do we think about this new cause of action? And do we think that it's developed in the right way? Or do we think...
0: Well, first of all, I, I think it's important that we just, to show just how endemic this was, mm. the Prince was picking up on um, something that had become very public in that hacking and phone hacking became one of those scandals that actually ended the life of the News of the World newspaper, which had existed for so many years. And the Murdoch Press were over a barrel in relation to it. Mm -hmm. What Prince Harry was doing was showing that other newspaper bodies were doing exactly the same thing, that it was across the piece, and that he suffered the consequences of this. And I just want to tell you a little bit of additional stuff in, in why I feel very sympathetic to the prince. is because I, at one stage, was the, was chairing the Human Genetics Commission. Mm-hmm. I have to say that I had to, at that time, with my commission, we had to introduce and advise government to introduce the criminal offence of theft of DNA. And the reason why we were concerned about that was because it came to our attention that the tabloid press was making great efforts to get hold of anything that might have Prince Harry's dna on it like you know cigarette Mm. ends or glasses when he's been drinking in a pub or anything of that sort and the reason why was because they were desperate to try and prove somehow or other who his father was or who his father wasn't i wasn't having it and so with some urgency persuaded government to introduce that criminal offense of taking dna without consent Mm. and it was largely because we knew from our informants that efforts were being made to secure that kind of evidence and the tabloid press were doing it. And you'll remember that it was done in America in relation to a very well-known model who had a relationship with someone and they tried to prove who her child's father was by going through bins and things Mm -hmm. in uh, trash cans in California. And so you know, we know that that was going on and it had to stop. And so the hacking thing, his life was like that from when he was a boy.
1: He was. I just want to ask this thing. The case before Mr. Justice, this fan court, was 30 days in court, 30 days at court, and that was with the charges reduced from 145 to 33. Yeah. Do we think that this is a proportionate way of dealing with these particular issues in circumstances where... There is, as we know, the Ipso exists, chaired by Lord Folkes, I think is the chairman of it, which provides a very quick and simple and, and straightforward arbitration dispute resolution system for people who complain that their privacy has been invaded. Should we not be encouraging the newspapers to resolve these things in, in this way? Or do we all support the idea of a massive court case when you say... Your privacy has been invaded. Well,
2: Leveson recommended that there be an independent body. Ipso yes. is not an independent body. It's completely financed by the, by the papers, and if it it's ever got too close to anything that was really troublesome, it would be wound up by them. So I don't think it's You think it's the
1: right, I in Ipso is independent?
2: I agree with that. I, I, I think it's not an appropriate body. And also they said in Leveson, if you don't set up an independent body then you're liable to pay the costs. If you do set up an independent body, which people can go to, then by going to that independent body, you, in effect, deprive yourself of the opportunity of going to court because there is this cheap and independent body. And they never did that, the media. They demanded they keep control over the body that judges them. And then then the
1: legislation was passed with the cost penalty, but it's never been brought into force and it's now going to be repealed.
2: Well, I hope that we, Labour, will resist that. Ed Miliband, then the Leader of the Opposition, and David Cameron, then the Prime Minister, promised that it would be done because of the sense of outrage on behalf of the people like Millie Dowler's family who had to go through their absolute hell. But now... As ever, the media have forced the politicians into a position yes. where they're not prepared to take a
1: stand. It is Richard. a great pity that there isn't a simple, swift and uh, straightforward arbitral system to deal with these, the diff- which is independent. Exactly. It?
0: You see, the difficult thing, and it, it became the argument, I, I was very interested in the whole hacking thing, because, of course, there was a campaign around trying to have some sort of independent body that was not run by the media. Paul Dacre and uh, and the media because their representation on it meant that they had control. But who is that old business of Cooey, you know, the... the yeah. yeah, who guards the guards. Who, who guards the guardians? What people didn't want was government to be deciding on no. this either. and we, And I don't want government to be doing it. So if you're not going to have government involved in it and the politicians, and you don't want the media owners and the editors... Who do you get to do this? And it is difficult, but it goes back to there are ways in which you can do
2: this. And we do it about the appointment of judges. But Leveson Leveson had 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 the answer to that because he'd said, basically, if there is an independent body, Mm -hmm. which is independent, and he set out the sort of criteria for that, and and Section uh 40 sets out what the criteria are, if that is set up and you as a newspaper subscribe to it, then you're not going to be at risk as to costs if somebody like Prince Harry then takes you to court for a case like this. And you get the benefit of cost protection if you have this independent body. Because this independent body has not been set up, it's still controlled by the media, you are not giving the media the cost protection. As it happens, looking at the findings of Fancourt, where he's saying the Mirror Group in that case had not made proper disclosure in previous cases, they'd not made proper disclosure in relation to the Leveson inquiry, one's not that sympathetic to them because they'd basically deceived courts yeah, they, previously they about their role in phone
0: hacking. I do think, though, and you're right, Nick, that there should be some swift way in which, you know, you can get it, your address. if it happened to you. But not for Prince uh, Harry, Harry. Not for Doreen Lawrence, whose son was murdered and who has been you know, campaigning for so long in relation to race matters. Sometimes these things have such significance that it's in, in the public interest that there is a trial and that it's it's dealt with in a proper way that so that we hear what the media has been up to. And so the, so the public know that the disgraceful levels they will sink to. In all of this, and we're not giving enough credence to this bit because we're talking about the very bad behaviour, we do also have to protect press freedom because there are some we things which we, where we do want what might be an invasion of privacy if it's to tell us about corruption, is to tell us about uh, serious double standards and um, by people who are trying to tell the rest of us how to conduct our lives and so on. There were those cases. I mean, I, I was always amazed by the business of Mark Ochen, who was a Liberal Democrat member of Parliament who was exposed about his, his sexual life. But he actually publicly said he felt that it was right that he was exposed because, <laughs> because, because he basically felt that freedom of speech was so important. Now, maybe that was because he was a Liberal Democrat and that's their major policy. But we felt that freedom of the press was so important that it had to outweigh in certain circumstances the but private uh, life of the politicians. The
2: strength of our system, I think, is we have dealt with it on a case-by-case basis yeah. and the judges have developed it themselves effectively without very much guidance from yeah. the legislature. And the consequence is each case moves the story on a little bit without there being any sort of overarching rigid principle that then prevents for example the exposure of corruption or under protect somebody's privacy and i think that you've got to leave it to the judges to take Balance. it on the case and we've yes. got we've got good reliable judges but my respect.
1: concern is that unless you're somebody of means or of high profile like Duke of Sussex, that justice is just inaccessible. Well, it's that's in a, a problem absolutely. the whole system. For this, Absolutely.
0: Well, in this particular area, Doreen Lawrence would say herself that she would not have been able to take a case if it hadn't been that there was a sort of support system for doing it and that she was drawn into a collective of, of people who were taking cases. And I think that, that Leveson, I regret the fact that the policing part of Leveson has never been carried through. There was to be another part. Part two. Part well, two. But
2: I, I regret deeply. At the heart of this is the unwillingness of the politicians to take on the media. And they're frightened of the media because of the role that the media has in whether they get re-elected. And therefore, you never have the politicians moving the law forward. But But that's why Nichols in the Naomi Campbell case moved the story forward. You referred to a judge, Lord Justice Sedley, in the Douglas and Hello case, who then, as it were, encapsulates, actually, we've now got a law of privacy. It is judge-made law... But there wasn't going to be any law in that area. It People's true. privacy you, I mean, I mean, would never be protected, and that's the strength of our system. Do
0: you remember Max Mosley? Do you yeah. remember the Max Mosley case? I mean, he's dead now, but he was very insistent that his about his private life. Yeah. Now he was a man who enjoyed uh, orgies, multiple sex with multiple women, but the press ran. I can't remember which newspaper. News of the World, uh, or News of the World was it about about this? And and photographs were taken and represented in by month. Mr.
1: Mark Warby, I think. Yeah. Mm. And, Court, I think you have yeah, my court. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. Oh, this gossiping about other lawyers and <laughs> judges. Stop it. Anyway, yeah. let's stop it right now. Yeah. But the thing about that was, I mean, was it really in the public interest? Because he, you no, know, it was I mean. not, because the I judge
2: mean, found it wasn't in the public interest. Yeah, the judge, that, I mean, that was I mean, Mr. Justice Edie, Exactly, yeah. who, who yeah. found course, that there was no good reason for publishing this. Yes. And he won. Uh, but mostly won. He did. And then they appealed, and they, it was upheld in the court. It was of upheld in the court of appeal.
0: Of course, and the, the, the tabloid media has gone after Mr. Justice Edie. He he became seen as being the kind of great privacy expander and all yeah. of that. And he really got excoriated in the press. Absolutely. And they went after him. And that's one of the things is that people can have a chilling effect yeah. if they go after people. And let's remember about the hacking of the phones and all of that mm. was that there was a, an actress who had uh, basically confided in her sister about something. And so the only person she felt who knew yeah. um, about, I think, the failure of her marriage or something very, private and then it appeared yeah. in the press and she never spoke to her sister for some years yeah years yeah. she fell out with her sister and said you did this to me mm-hmm. you told and, and i asked you not to and i thought that you you would care for me and this, this is the stuff of people's souls you know this is this is stuff that is hmm. destroys
2: one of the things that comes out of the fan court judgment as well is the fact that you, you may well hack prince harry's phone like the moment you find, if you're listening to Prince Harry, that there's somebody else who's not a celebrity, you then go and hack her phone, uh, mm-hmm. and then you go round that circle. It's a thing that spreads and spreads and spreads. Like a Exactly. It, it can, and, yes. it, and it is this sense of arrogance, which you get from that extract that Nicholas read just a moment ago, all laughing in the newsroom but laughing at him for singing a Beatles song to Heather Mills and my goodness me that is really something that is private and yet people in the newsroom are laughing Laughing at it it. and they're going to publish it in the newspapers (laughs) because another thing that Fancourt says is you wait a week or two you then publish it and then you make everybody, just picking up your point yeah. about the sister, mm-hmm. you make the people think, oh, somebody must have Somebody betrayed told. me. Someone exactly, betrayed exactly. me.
0: And you saw, it's, it's such a corrupting thing. It's so it's disbelief and anxiety about who is trustworthy. You've the you Diana One of the things about Prince Harry's action was that he felt that a deal had been done by the powers that be within the royal family, that that you had to give stuff to the press in order to stop them doing other stuff. Mm. And he felt that, you know, he'd been thrown to the lines in a way because he was sort of not as important. And therefore, he was exposed in order to do this, kind of make this deal work. To some extent, I think there's probably truth in that. I mean, and it shows you the power of the press. It exists wherever you are in society, whether you're right down at the bottom end Mm. or whether you're at the very top of the apex, that somehow they have that kind Mm -hmm. of uh, power to make you deliver.
2: But it's the power of the press that, for example, gets the exoneration for the post office. So you've got to accept that the press has pretty unlimited ability to talk about particular things. But equally, we are entitled to privacy. You know, when I was a minister, people would regularly go through my rubbish and then newspaper stories would appear about what my children were doing at school and where I'd gone on holiday. Because really? They, oh, yep, God. Yep, and the Mr. Binman. Benji the Binman. Ben man. I was introduced to Benji the Binman during the course of the various things about the press who explained to me whose bins he went through and he cruised around North London going to the bins he produced a number of things he got my bin was absolutely chilling because it means you feel completely unsafe wherever you are everything you do will be reported now maybe I brought that upon myself because I was a politician but even politicians, even Prince Harry, have a legitimate area they of do. privacy. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, and it's
2: a good thing that the judges took on the burden of doing it. And even though EDJ pay, paid a price for it, other judges did not. And well, Now it's a much more accepted part well, of law. What we've tried
1: to do in this episode is to emphasise that phone hacking was not confined to royalty and celebrities. Exactly. Hmm.
0: But also the other thing is that privacy is vitally important, but we're also having to emphasise that freedom of the press is crucial to a mm-hmm. democracy. It I mean, is. A bit like we we talked about the rule of law being crucial to a democracy. Media freedom is vitally important. Mm-hmm. Good journalists doing investigative work. And so it's not about crushing good journalism. We want to do the opposite. And it would be better if they spent their money, instead of spending it on private detectives going after celebrities and going after the royalty and so on, if they actually spent their money on investigations into really legitimate. A... They, they
2: they have a subtler defence, which is if unless it's possible for Rebecca Vardy to describe Peter Andre as being the size of a chipolata, there won't be a newspaper industry which will then do the
1: bigger scandal revelations. But, but, but uh, I, I, understand is, I understand that argument. You have you've you got to have you, you, got engage, to... you engage the public with tittle tattle. You keep the financial model yes.
2: depends on kiss and tell in order to finance the more important stuff
0: oh really so so the sun newspaper is really giving us lots of very honorable information about the state of the nation in amongst all the other stuff well maybe that's true but i i i don't think it's good enough i mean i I really i mean we're not spending enough money on the kind of journalism that produces the stories on mr bates the post office uh, miscarriage of justice we're not spending enough money on investigations into the oligarchs and the way in which their money is Corrupting our system.
2: The classic. The Daily Mail, which is persistently making revelations about people it doesn't like, also ran a campaign about the killers of Stephen Lawrence. So the Daily Mail would say it's with our terrible tittle-tattle stories that we finance the revelation of the true murder. That
0: that, that happened in a rather interesting way in which um, uh, the the father of Stephen Lawrence happened to be doing some work for for Paul Dacre. That story would never have been revealed if it hadn't been for just the accident, the serendipity of a particular connection.
1: Well, that's been an extremely interesting episode. And um, I would just wind up by referring to the Duke's remaining claims against the newsgroup newspapers for phone hacking, which have run into a certain amount of problem in that the phone hacking element, as about it, as opposed to his claims about blagging and the use of private investigators, has been struck out as being outside the limitation period, which means that they are too late, more than six years having elapsed between the the events in question, which he knew about, or should have known about, and him issuing proceedings. So that looks as if it's going to go to trial on a very limited basis if it goes to trial at all. And I note that he has recently also discontinued his libel case against the Mail on Sunday. So it looks perhaps as if the Duke's litigation against the press is drawing to a close. But it has been a very interesting episode, and we'll see you all next week. Bye-bye.
2: Bye. There's one thing I almost forgot. Do you have another
1: minute? The judgment of Mr Justice Fancourt dealt only with 33 of the 145 incidents of phone hacking alleged by the Duke. The remaining 112 allegations were directed to be heard on a later occasion. However, after this episode had been recorded, the parties reached an agreement in respect of those undecided allegations. They settled the case, essentially whereby the Mirror would pay a substantial further sum, we're not told the amount in damages in respect of those undecided allegations. So that aspect of the case was then completely settled. That left undecided the question of costs, and in that regard, the parties have reached an agreement whereby the Mirror would pay £400,000 as an interim payment on account of their liability to pay the Duke's costs. The full amount will be decided on a later occasion, The fact that an interim payment has been agreed and ordered does show that the Mirror is liable to pay the Duke's costs and that it has not protected itself by making an offer to settle the case which the judge could have considered in determining the cost liability. You've been listening to Law and Disorder with Helena Kennedy, Charlie Faulkner and me, Nicholas Mostyn. The show is produced by Nick Hilton for Podo. Our theme music is by Anthony Willis. Please subscribe to get new episodes straight into your podcast app. We'd be delighted to know what you think of the podcast. So do please email us your thoughts on lawanddisorderfeedback at gmail.com. See you next week.